A very warm welcome to the Leaders with Babies podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I'm the CEO and founder of Leaders Plus, an award-winning social enterprise dedicated to supporting leaders with babies and young children. I passionately believe that it is not okay that in the UK today, if you have a child and want to care for it, it really does impact on your chances of getting to the most senior roles. And with this podcast and, of course, our award-winning Leaders Plus Fellowship program, I want to change this. Hopefully giving you inspiration and practical support that you can use to continue to progress your career whilst enjoying your young family. You may have noticed that in the last few weeks we've had a break since the last episode. This episode is recorded during the coronavirus lockdown. Like many others, we have our two-year-old and our four-year-old at home with us and so my partner and I are now both working only half days instead of full days. Plus, while moving the Leaders Plus Fellowship online has been a great success, I've put a huge amount of hours in to do this well and so prioritise giving the fellows a fantastic experience over things that I also enjoy, such as the podcast, but are, that are less time critical. So I know that this topic of workload, which is so prevalent to me at the moment, is also relevant to many others too, both during this coronavirus lockdown time, but also more generally. I wanted to do something to address this. And so being time poor, but ideas rich, I've partnered with Harvey Sanger, the founder of the social enterprise Doyen, to run a webinar panel discussion on workload with a fantastic series of speakers. And I found their advice both inspiring and thought provoking. And I hope you do too. Obviously, being recorded via video conferencing software means that the sound quality is less good than usual, but I hope you still will get a lot from it. Doing this partnership with Harvira has been a great experience for me. It was a practical way to manage workload, but also Harvira is great and her social enterprise, Dwayne, has very similar values to Leaders Plus. Do check out her website on www.dwayne.network. That's D-O-Y-E-N-N-E dot network. It's a career platform for ambitious women pursuing a better work-life balance, but there's lots of stuff on there that's relevant for men as well. It's a brilliant social enterprise which offers access to a range of free resources and expert career advice for progression and personal and professional development. So definitely worth a look. On to today's podcast. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. We can see people streaming in, so we'll give everyone a couple of minutes to join. I'll just do a quick introduction. So I'm Harvey, and I wanted to give everybody a really great big welcome to today's panel discussion. Um, Verena and I really wanted to organize this together because the discussion, the topic today is something that we're all dealing with in normal life and now the pandemic has really brought it to the fore. So managing home and work life. In terms of our essential enterprises, so Verena leads Leaders Plus and I have Doyen. We're on a similar mission where we really want everybody to be able to achieve their full career potential. And we're especially focused on parents. At the moment, I'm especially interested in gender equality in the workplace and what works. And we know that motherhood is one of the biggest contributors to gender pay gap. So it's really worrying when I see research like that, which has come out this week, which says that during the pandemic, women are spending more time on childcare and homeschooling than men. And that kind of makes me think, well, what are the longer, longer term implications of this if men are able to put in more time into the workload than women are? So I feel like today's topic is especially important for us to take away some key practical activities or tools that we can implement in our daily life. And that sounds really negative in terms of the issue, but I'm hoping we can walk away feeling super positive with actions that we can take and feel better about what we're doing and how we're doing it. So I will let Marina introduce Leaders Plus herself in the panel session, but I just want to do a little bit of housekeeping. So you will see that we're on a webinar format, so you're all not on video and you don't have to worry about me or unmute, but we do want this to be as interactive as possible. So you'll see a chat function and a Q&A function. If you click on the chat, you'll be able to talk to all the other participants, and we really want you to engage. We have an amazing panel that will be sharing their wisdom, but we know that there are so many brilliant people who are joining as attendees, and we would love to have your tips and your advice too. So do please share in the chat. And what we'll try and do is collate some of the advice and share that post-webinar to everybody who signed up. Separately, there's a Q&A function, and that's private and comes just to us, the panelists. So please do use that 
for sending private questions that we can then use for the Q&A later. So the last 15 to 20 minutes of the webinar will be Q&A from the audience. So please do use. So if you send it in the chat, it may get lost if the chat gets busy. So please do send through in the Q&A. But other than that, I will be handing over to Verena now. And thank you so much to the panelists. I really look forward to seeing how this discussion goes. Thank you, Harir. And uh, Harir and I were really living, like I'm sure everyone watching is, uh, this experience. We just had uh, kids running around with porridge literally 10 minutes before the session started with porridge all over the floor. And I think that's the reality of all of us. I run the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus, which is all about supporting leaders with babies and young children to continue to progress their careers. And I've noticed that during this time of COVID, as well as even before that, actually, that if you can unlock that workload challenge, then that makes such a massive difference to people being able to continue to progress their careers. Thank you, everybody who is dialing in today. I can see we even have got someone from Spain. So very, very warm welcome to you. We'll focus about 30% of the time today talking about workload in the times of COVID, i.e. with kids running around spilling porridge all the time. And the rest of the time, we'll talk about long-term workload management. We'll spend about maybe 20 minutes or so me asking questions of the panel because Harvey and I selected our wonderful panelists because they're all people we really admire and want to learn from and have already learned a lot from. And then we'll hand it over for another 20 minutes to you via the chat. I'm going to ask the panel to introduce themselves in a minute. But in the meantime, can I also ask the people watching to say who you are and where you're dialing in from and also your biggest learning point in workload management, either recently or before the COVID time. Panel, can you please introduce yourselves, what you do and who in your family is at the moment with you? And of course, share with us your biggest learning point in managing workload over the past few years. And we will start with Susanna. Hey, thank you very much, Verena, and welcome everyone. It's amazing to see how many people wanted to sign up to this, really encouraging. So my name's Susanna, and I'm the chief executive of an education charity called Action Tutoring. We support children from disadvantaged backgrounds in English and maths using high quality volunteers. And as an organisation, we work in eight cities across the country. I have a staff team of 29. We work with just over 1,100 volunteer tutors a year. At home, I have a little boy called Joshua, who's now nearly three. And under normal circumstances, my husband and I were both working four days a week, each having a day in the week with Joshua, which we were finding was a really good balance for us both for our work, but also to have that really precious time with him in these early years. That's obviously been thrown out the water. And at the moment, our setup is that one of us works in the morning, the other works in the afternoon, and then we use the evening to catch up. And that's definitely provided new challenges of the of how we juggle it and how we prioritise. And being completely honest, where there are real clashes and we both just have to be on a call at the same time, the answer to that is Paw Patrol. I don't know about anyone else on here, but I'm certainly getting very sick of Paw Patrol during lockdown, but it is at points a lifesaver for those really important calls. And I think my biggest learning points in managing workload have been to be really clear to both myself and to my team what my priorities are and where it is that I can most add value to the team. I think before I had Joshua, it was quite easy to say yes to a lot of things. And one of my biggest learnings since having Joshua is learning to say no and not being embarrassed or ashamed to say no. And it's definitely something that I found has got easier over time. And it's enabled me to streamline my work and really think about, as I said, what my priorities are and what are my skills that I can really bring to the team that will most add value to the work we're doing. The other thing for me that was really important to set out early on was that I knew that being back for my son's bedtime most days was something that was a really, really important to me that I really wanted to try and prioritise. So I actually explained to my team at work really early on that I would be leaving to get back for bedtime most days and set that expectation that I, I wouldn't be staying late in the office. The team know that sometimes that means I will pick up emails and things in the evenings once Joshua is asleep, but making that really clear boundary that that was a really important value for me and for my family early on was really valuable. There are reasons why I might miss bedtime, for example, a board meeting or a networking event that I think is going to be particularly useful. But I'm very clear that it has to be a really good reason to do that and to try and keep that bedtime time really sacred for us as a family. Yeah, thank you for sharing. It, you really inspired me to set those boundaries more, more clearly when we spoke earlier a few months ago. Rebecca? 
Hi, everyone. My name is Rebecca Boston. And like Susanna, I actually work part-time. I've, in fact, been working part-time for 14 years. I initially started working part-time for childcare reasons and kind of managing my parenting juggle. But actually, more recently, I'm using part-time to enable me to manage my early menopause. Additionally, I manage a multidisciplinary team of geologists, engineers, and economists focused on economic valuation in oil and gas fields, in particular in Africa. And I'm sure many of you have seen in the press, my industry is going through a rocky period with lots of uncertainty and stress. Pretty much like my personal life, as I now live full-time with a preteen, a teenager, and my fiancé, <laughs> all of us in the house together. I've never been busier at work, and also now, apparently, I have to contribute to on a regular basis to my teenage son's GCSE learning and my daughter's year five learning as well. And I've only really been able to stretch to this temporary new normal because actually over the past few years, I've worked really hard on my values, pretty much like what Susanna was saying, but also I've worked incredibly hard to create a gender neutral household. So everyone pitches in, my son cleans the bathroom, my daughter mops and sweeps, my fiance and I are equal food managers. And it was really, you know, seven years ago, I came to realization that if I don't put my oxygen mask on first, no one's gonna do it for me. And I've actually done this work quite publicly via my passion blog, diversity-puzzle.com. And I'm really, you know, I use it to help inspire other women to stay in the corporate world through understanding what their boundaries and their values are. You know, it's very much my passion project. And it's still definitely, you know, I'm and my blog and my family are still very much a work in progress. But I was a single mom for six years. And now being in a household where everybody contributes to the household actually means that during this lockdown, you know, while I have been busier than I've ever been at work, actually, we've been able to all share the burden. I've been hearing lots of my friends say how they're feeling very overwhelmed, that everything is their responsibility. And, you know, at least in my house, we've worked really hard to make sure that the household and caring is everybody's responsibility. Yeah, I love this idea of a gender neutral household. I really want to know more about how you set it up. Karen, can we hear from you? Oh, hi there. I'm Karen Airwhite. Thanks, Rena and Javier, for having me on the panel. I'm a productivity coach. I founded a business called GoDo, which helps busy, overwhelmed people get back in control of their time and get more done. I set up the business in the second half of my maternity leave with my daughter. And before having my daughter, I was chief exec of a small government regulator. So I've got one daughter, she's called Orla. She is 19 months old, currently running around the flats screaming, but um, hopefully you can't hear. And in sort of normal non-COVID time, she is in nursery two days a week and goes into creche for a couple of other mornings. My husband works full time. So I'm then for the rest of the week sort of balancing, looking after her and trying to get some stuff done on the business. I'm in this slightly unusual situation actually in terms of the pandemic where actually we're splitting childcare 50-50 at the moment because my husband is a civil servant, very understanding employer. So I am actually, I actually have a better childcare coverage at the moment because I'm, I'm able to do that 50-50 split, which is great for me. And I'm really, we're, we're all really enjoying that. The biggest learning point for me, I think over the last couple of years is, is learning that you can't do everything. I do this myself and I talk to my clients about this, which is sort of seeing your to-do list as a list of options and making good choices about what you do and what you don't do being the key to making that work. That's been my big learning over the last couple of years. Also, I think the power of really kind of small changes to habits and routines, which can make really big differences, I think, in terms of how you're able to manage your workload and able to balance that with, with home life as well. I'm fascinated by this idea of small changes. We definitely need to pick up on that. Over to you, Vicky. Thanks, Lorena. And hello, everyone. It's really lovely to be here. And I was just reflecting, actually, as I look at this panel of women. In lockdown, I'm at home with my husband and three sons. And it's actually immensely refreshing to see some female faces. <laughs> so I'm Vicky. I'm the Director of Regulation and Insight at IPSA. IPSA is the independent regulator. We regulate MPs, pay and ex business costs and expenses. They are frantically busy at the moment serving their constituents who are, you know, have a range of problems, mostly at the moment related to pandemic. So I'm working as hard as I've ever worked, actually, but from home. And it's a very different experience, which I know we're going to go on to talk about. As I mentioned, I have three sons. One is about to turn 22 this month. One is going to turn 16 next week. And the other is 19. So I've worked a variety of hours and work patterns as they, you know, starting from when I just had my eldest son to where I am now. And I think one of my learning points is that you adapt 
I think that young childhood stage feels so intense and so demanding. You can't ever imagine coming out the other side of it, but you do and your children still need you and you need to adapt. So I guess one of the things I've learnt and have really put into practice most effectively the last few years is to give myself time to reflect. And I put in a half an hour on Monday morning that nobody else, you know, as almost as a meeting with myself and one at the end of the week. And at the beginning of the week, I look at my to-do list and I prioritise it and speak to my team about it. And at the end of the week, I look and I think, well, what did I manage to do? What didn't I manage to do? And I wonder what's going on you know, like what made it easy to do or difficult to do. And then I roll that over to the next week. So I think scheduling time to think and to stop doing is critical. And I think particularly at the moment where we're all juggling so much from home, it's difficult to stop, but it's what keeps you sane. Keeping sane, maximising the sanity is probably the most important overarching principle in anything you can do. I'll stop there, Verena. I do want to pick up on that, actually. So quite a few people, including Kate on the chat, have mentioned this huge pressure. And thank you, Kate, for sharing this so so honestly on the chat. And lovely to see a Leaders Plus fellow on it. How do you maximise your sanity, practically, especially when you have young kids running around and huge pressure going on? I'm sure others will have tips as well. But I think that we all have ideas of how we want to live our life and how we want to bring up our children. And, you know, I was very clear at the start that I wanted to be a very hands-on mum. And I didn't want them to have screen time. Not that there were smartphones around when when my children were very young, but I was going to be this delicious mummy that made all their food, that read to them, that never raised her voice and just smiled, you know, in an earth other way the entire time. And of course, that lasted about 24 hours. So I think the thing somebody told me very early on is you have these ideas and you have these principles and values about how you... Want to run your life, but think about what's actually happening as a result of them. And this overarching principle of maximizing the sanity if you are in a state and you need 20 minutes to yourself, it's okay for your child to watch telly. You know, as I think you were saying, Susanna, it won't matter. They won't remember it. But what they will remember is a parent that was more present and calmer and more loving because they took a bit of time to do what they needed to do. We sometimes have far too many expectations of ourselves, and that maximizing the sanity gives us freedom to think what do I actually need to do in this particular situation to keep everyone calm and happy rather than can I boast on social media that my child read Jane Eyre and they're only three years old yeah sometimes choosing to give yourself permission to have that I think it's very powerful on that on the chat made an excellent point about making sure that actually we shouldn't just aim for sanity but for happiness which I think is an amazing an amazing comment to make Rebecca you wanted to add something I just wanted to share something that a colleague told me about that as she was reminiscing with her her mum about the dinner of small things that they used to have as a family and her mum could not recollect what her daughter was talking about. She was like, no, it was amazing, mum. We used to have this plate and there was all these small things on it and we would have it, you know, on like, you know, a Thursday or Friday night. And it was just, it was so lovely and we could watch TV while we had it. And she really recalls this as this amazing, positive, lovely memory of her childhood. And then suddenly you know, her mum was like, oh my God, that was basically when I had no time to cook or do anything. I would just take whatever was in the cupboard and put it on a plate and told you it was the the dinner of small things. And for her daughter, this was like a lovely, you know, event that she even remembers now she's in like her 40s. So I think we also, you know, need to recognize that children's perceptions, they're not seeing the world in the same way as we are seeing it. You know, and I think we just need to give ourselves credit for that, that it's okay to give our children like a dinner of small things in front of the TV. If we are exhausted by the end of the week, they're probably going to think that that's a really amazing proactive choice you've made. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. We'll definitely try the dinner of small things in our household. Quite a few of the panelists, but also on the chat have mentioned the boundaries, setting the boundaries with the workplace. And that's particularly tough when you are dependent on clients when you are dependent on funders who, or you have a boss who is quite demanding. Susanna, you mentioned that you're really good at setting boundaries. So sorry for putting you on the spot. What do you practically do? What do you say 
to make sure those boundaries are there. I'm not sure really good is quite how I'd describe it. A work in progress, Marina. One thing that's worked incredibly well for me is that on my day off, I always put an out of office on, which initially felt a bit silly just doing it for one day. But one thing I found is that over time, more and more people, not just internally, but people I connect with a lot externally, now just know that I'm not available on Fridays. And it's easily helped to limit the number of times Friday gets suggested as a day for a meeting or a call. If people do suggest wanting to meet or speak on a Friday, I normally just offer them a couple of alternative dates really quickly and just push back and say, I can't do Friday. Could you do one of these instead? I've really tried to stick to only taking calls on my day off if it's really, really urgent. There's a really good reason why I can't wait for Friday. I realized quite early on, it could be a slippery slope that if I started saying yes to lots of calls on Friday, that would just become the norm. Whereas actually, I think I've managed to make it where it's not the norm and people know it's the exception for me to be contacted on that day. I'll be honest, that doesn't mean that I don't still spot emails coming through on a Friday. I'm normally quite aware of what's flooding into the inbox on a Friday. I try and limit the number of times I check. But I've also found that 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 then helps when I go back on Monday that I know what's going to be sitting there and can help me think through in my head on the commute or, or on Sunday evening what it is that I'm going to need to prioritize on Monday. Monday morning. But I really recommend that out of office. It was something that somebody on the Leaders Plus course suggested to me. And the other thing I do actually is at the bottom of my email footer, I put that I I often work flexibly and that whilst I might send an email at a certain time, I don't necessarily expect um, a reply at that time. And I've seen a lot of people putting those on during lockdown. I think it's really valuable just to communicate to external audiences that your working hours might be a bit erratic. And you also do, obviously, you know, you're the boss of your own team, but you also do that with people who are external and who are you're pushing back with the key funder if if he does that. Yeah, and I think there's an important point to make about not being ashamed to say that you're off looking after your child or that you're not working because of childcare. I wonder if it's something that women used to hide and they didn't want to publicise that that was why they weren't available that day. But my husband now does the same on his day off and also makes public that he's not available on Tuesdays because he's looking after our little boy. And I think the more people that can start doing this and make it normal, the better rather than something that we feel we, we have to hide or can't bring into the workplace. Absolutely. Vicky, you had something to add? Yeah, just briefly. I mean, I fully endorse what Susanna does. I use an out-of-office for the days that I'm not in. Oh, hello, teenage son. I also have decided that my youngest son, who, although he's 15 and comes home to an empty house, the first thing he does is call me and I take that call during meetings. And because I have decided that's my bottom line, I may not be physically home for him, but I will say hello to him when he walks into an empty house. And unless it's an external meeting, any internal meeting, people know that I will pick up the phone and say, hello, sweetie, hope you've had a good day. I'm in a meeting, I'll call you back. For me, as one of the more senior leaders of my organisation, that sends a very important message, which is you bring your whole self to work. I still get everything done, but people see me as a human being with my values, that my family is very important to me, and it gives them the freedom to do that, to make those choices for themselves as well. So I use an out-of-office and I prioritise home life sometimes. Thank you, Vicky. Uh, Karen, you wanted to add something? Yeah, I I think on the topic of boundaries, I think one of the biggest challenges, possibly particularly when you're self-employed, but I think it applies when you're in a job, is setting them for yourself. I think that a lot of this is about internal chatter we have about what's allowed and what we should be allowed to do and guilt. So something that I do and that I do with my clients is is that we actually, we get a sort of blank week out in a calendar or in a a hard copy diary and we literally plan out the week. That lets you have non-working days on, but it also, I think it's almost more useful when it comes to what time am I going to stop working? What am I starting? when am I stopping and it sets that intention for yourself and it makes it concrete and you get it down on a schedule and I think that that can really help to reinforce to yourself no I've thought about this I've thought about everything I need to have in my week to in order to have a balanced life and these are the boundaries that I'm setting and it, I think it helps with that intention absolutely Karen let me ask you please please be honest <laughs> do you have at the moment do you have still time to think and you know like we all say like we know for those very senior roles we get paid to think we don't get paid to do some doing is important but obviously we get paid to think rather than do lots of stuff like on a hamster wheel so do you still get time to think and if yes please tell us how I do still get time to think and it's because I schedule it in this is incredibly common see it with almost all of my clients is this inability to get this strategic thinking done 
really we can think of our work as being there's some doing stuff and connecting with people and there's some strategic thinking and for most jobs particularly at a senior level and particularly as you get more senior in your career you have to manage to fit this stuff in but of course it's in this important but not urgent category so it just slips down and down the to-do list the things that I've found useful for myself and also I've seen other people do well is scheduling it in creating some way of getting yourself into a different headspace for it because it does need a different headspace so I found changing location can be really helpful for that quite difficult at the moment of course but so one thing that I do is that I, I take myself off on a sort of um, DIY planning retreat every three or four months so I literally all this is is I book myself into an Airbnb for one night I'm away from the house for 24 hours arranging my husband to look after a little one and I take myself more into that strategic zone and think what am I trying to achieve how am I going to get there what's the plan for the next sort of three or four months and I find that going into a new environment somewhere different I'm not sitting at my desk at the same place that I'm churning away on emails and everything gets me into that different space. I think also another tip around that is about accountability. One of the challenges about this strategic stuff is that no one is generally asking you for something immediately. It's not something that you can respond to really quickly. So doing something to give yourself some accountability. So telling someone that you respect that you're going to go and do this particular thing and then sort of reporting back to them can really help us to actually get it done and protect the time. I like that. Vicky, you wanted to add something? I just wanted to add something because I can see from all the chats that people are setting unrealistic expectations themselves that this is a normal working at home situation and I just you know it's sort of tugging at my heart a little bit and I just want to say we're not working at home at the moment we are at home during a crisis and trying to work so I you know I just please be kinder to yourselves about the expectations that you're setting and you know I hope that the senior leaders in the organizations and I know that some of you are that it's really important to recognize that um, this is not normal what we're doing and and there's so many drains on our energy at the moment that we really need to be kind to ourselves and really accept that this is not an everyday situation. Couldn't agree more. Very well said. Thank you, Vicky. So does any of the panel have an example of how they have had that type of conversation with an executive director, with their boss? Because that, that's what it comes down to, isn't it? It's not a normal situation, but sometimes our senior leaders think it's normal that we start work at 4am in the morning and then finish at 6 when the child gets up. But it really shouldn't be. So it needs got to have the conversation. How do you do it? Rebecca and then Susanna. Yeah, I think it's it's really important that you're clear before you have that conversation about your strategic value to the organization. I think once you know what your value is, then you can have a much clearer conversation with your boss. You're not simply going in saying, I'm really overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. What, you know, what's the answer? You're going in and saying, you know what, right now, if I was able to do 10 strategic things in a week before, now I probably can only do five. What are the most five most strategic things that will add value to our clients and our customers? I'm going to prioritize that, but I need your guidance right now to do that. And that's, you know, the kind of conversation that I had with my boss as well in terms of understanding what I should prioritize right now. But you need to also have some thought behind it. You can't just go in expecting them to give you the solution. I think you should go in with an idea of what you think the top five is and have a negotiation around that. And it could be, you know, that maybe you work in a project cycle so you can agree that and that's it for a month. Or it could be that you have to have this conversation every week. It depends on the nature of your work. But I think this is also a really good opportunity during the pandemic to practice your strategic kind of filtering because that will help you once this is finished because suddenly things that you thought were, you know, really important have just become nice to have. And actually you discover that your clients and, you know, your your senior stakeholders, they don't really even care about that bit of your role. And this is a really good opportunity for you to kind of filter what might be really important for you in terms of taking the next step in your career as well. Obviously, it's a really big period of overwhelm. I know I, you know, in my industry, especially every day, everything is changing and we're having to take new views every day about the oil and gas market. But keeping those strategic high level views during this very changing process means that you can also maintain visibility because it is incredibly easy when you're a parent to lose visibility in your organization. So, you know, I think that's definitely having these focused and strategic conversations, I think, can really help you and also help your manager help you. That's so interesting to hear. I love how bold and brave you were to just say, this is what I can do. What are the priorities out of those five? What top three things do I need to focus on? For me, I think that's really inspirational and everybody should should give themselves permission to do that because 
it is, a, as Vicky says, it is a crisis and we have the right to have that conversation, absolutely. Susanna, you wanted to add something. Yeah, I think my point really builds on what Rebecca was saying that I mentioned in my introduction, that figuring out where I most added value and what the really key priorities are was really important. And lockdown and having my son at home has definitely sort of forced that even further to really think about where I add value. At the start of lockdown, I had a really honest chair, uh, conversation with my chair of trustees that my working pattern was going to look a bit different and that this was inevitably going to be a real struggle. Thankfully, he has grown up children, but was very understanding that you can't just leave a three-year-old unsupervised for hours on end. So he's been really supportive and basically said, look, don't worry about the hours. As long as you're focusing on the key priorities and dealing with the most important things, you, you know, don't need to worry about clock watching your hours, which was really valuable to hear. And certainly through lockdown, I found it more helpful. Both my husband and I now work a little bit each day on all five days rather than having a complete day free with our son. And that has definitely enabled me just to stay on top of things much more quickly at the moment. The other thing, though, that I think was really important was my husband also had a conversation with his boss about how his work was going to need to look different through this period and how his priorities might need to shift. And I've heard some really awful stories of employers just assuming that it will be the woman that picks up the childcare and that the man's work won't be affected. And I think it's equally important that partners and men have have that conversation as well with their employers so that it's not just the women that are expected to be juggling through this. And again, thankfully, his employer was really understanding and supportive, but we need the men to be championing this as well, not just the women. I agree with Rebecca that you need to surface these issues with your boss. Otherwise, it's just your problem and it's hidden from sight and you just work harder and harder and harder. That's not right. And these conversations aren't easy because people don't always want to hear about them. They don't want to hear that it's difficult for you. They want you to sort it out. But it, it is important that the employer takes that shared responsibility that you have a fair workload. I've had a number over the years and probably the further back they were, the more difficult the conversations were because attitudes were slightly different. But I have had conversations with bosses where I've had to feel quite, where I felt almost tearful with fear about it. So it, it, it does take a bit of courage and energy, which is why it's worth sometimes discussing it with someone else before you speak to your manager to say, well, look, in these hours, this, this and this is possible. And as Rebecca said, what would you like me to focus on? And you may get pushback, but it's a reasonable thing to ask. So you can keep doing it. And the other thing I suggest to people is networks, support networks. So I created a, a part-timers network in every job I've been in, because I think then you can see where the themes are and you can ask the organisation to address it as a systemic organisational issue rather than you struggling. It's something the whole organisation needs to address. So it can bring the best out in all its people. Well said. You mentioned about teams and all of you are leaders or have been leaders of teams. How do you manage your team's workload? Or is it not a challenge in which case that's fine? Karen? I think a really good way to think about it is about them managing their workload and coming to you with the options and the choices about their priorities. So one thing that I found worked really well is to say, I'd like you to, to go away and think about what your top priorities are. And we're going to talk about it next time we meet. And to sort of, I suppose, empower some of those conversations that Vicky's talking about. It, because I think that one of the really great things you can do in the conversations is to set out the different options, to go feeling empowered. Well, I've thought about everything I've got to do. This is what I think the priority is, but what do you think? And to try and empower the people that are working for me to go through that process and to support them in, in going through that process. That's what I've found most useful. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Karen. We're going to hand over to the people who are watching this webinar right now. Harvey has been keeping an eye on the chat and all your excellent questions and is going to have the difficult task of choosing the questions to ask to the panel. Thank you. And thanks to all the panel. So you'll hear my son in the background. So obviously the parental sharing is not working at the moment. So please excuse that. Luckily, a lot of the questions have been overlapping. We have a few. Rebecca... Lots of people have been impressed by the gender balance that you've achieved in your household. And so we've had quite a few questions about how do you actually achieve this on a practical level? So with my first marriage, I definitely did not have a gender balanced relationship. I think I pretty much was a 1950s housewife, also trying to have, you know, a corporate career. And it was relatively unsustainable. When I became a single mum, I really had that opportunity to really think about what I wanted my next relationship to look like. 
And I actually used that period of time to really understand my values. And then when I went into my next relationship, actually, I was able to be really clear to the point that several of my friends were like, you're going to push him away. (laughs) You know, don't be so harsh. But actually, it's just because as a society, you know, we've been taught that actually, you know, there are these kind of structural roles in relationships. But actually, you know, taking care of a household, taking care of kids, you know, beyond basically a year, these are gender neutral tasks. And they can be allocated to anybody in the household who's competent, you know, of age for those tasks. And actually having that revelation made me think, as you know what, I won't tolerate, and I use that word in a very specific way, anything but equality in my next relationship. It's been hard. It's not easy in terms of making sure each week is equal. I mean, I would say we probably look at it over a three-week cycle. So, you know, there could be weeks where my fiance is really busy at work and maybe I do more of the cooking. And then the next week I'm really busy and he does more. So I think also thinking of it not as like every single day has to be this perfect equality. It's actually thinking about it in terms of, you know, over a three-week period, did I get that gender balance around that period? But also, you know, we have Sunday nights, we have household meetings where anyone can bring up any issues they're having. And let me tell you, my teenager, he's a lot of issues to bring up, (laughs) mainly, you know, around his pocket money, (laughs) you know, his desire for the next computers. (laughs) But actually, you know, engaging in that conversation and saying to them, you know what, you have an equal contribution to this house, but that also means you have to contribute equally to the house as well, actually really helps them understand. So, you know, it's not just about working with your partner, but it's also working with your kids and making them understand, you know, when my kids go to other people's houses and they don't see such equality, it really surprises them because it's become so normal for them that, you know, everybody is contributing. It is hard work and you have to be willing to have really uncomfortable conversations that go against a lot of structural norms in our society. But the value is you do have time for that deep thinking that we've been talking about. You can say to your family, you know what, I'm going to go off for two hours now and do some thinking for myself. It's not a big thing. It's not that my partner is then taking care of the kids. He's just doing his responsibility during that period of time. So yeah, so I think it's, it's about being brave and willing to challenge our structural norms. Thank you. Oh, does Vicky and Karen want to add anything? Well, as I mentioned, I have three sons and a husband. So if it was down to the woman to do everything, I'd be very busy and deeply resentful and probably furious all the time. So I don't know if anyone is aware of the mental load cartoon. If you're not, Google it straight afterwards. But it's this fantastic French cartoonist, female cartoonist, who talks about the mental load that women carry as if every woman is the chief exec of their household. And it's their job to think ahead about everything that's needed and then to allocate tasks. So they carry a huge mental load thinking about school and the house. And so my husband and I, we did something similar. We used to have every Sunday evening a household management meeting with a glass of wine. And we would go through everything that needed to be done over the next couple of weeks and then split it out between us. So there was no assumption that it was down to me to think about it. And I wanted to bring up three sons who were capable, competent people that didn't need somebody else to do stuff for them. Semi-successful, I would say. It's difficult to get teenagers to be enthusiastic about household responsibilities. But the other thing I also wanted was not to be the one nagging that my husband also takes responsibility for seeing it through with them, which he does. And during lockdown, you know, we've made this point quite forcibly that it's me and my husband who are working and supporting the household. And we have three sons at home and they need to contribute. Um, So there are a list of household chores they each need to complete. Not too many, but some. And we all take it in turns to cook supper. So it is hard work, but it's possible. Real quick tip on household chores is to make it a game. Cards write the chores on the cards I did this when we had our daughter you know once you've completed the talk the chore you turn it over makes it into a game everyone can take tasks from it and it helps great thank you guys so Vicky you mentioned working different shift patterns and so we've had a few questions about that so how do you actually manage it on a practical level and deal with potentially the lack of structure and routine and the impact they might have on children in terms of the uncertainty so do you have any advice on how to deal with working shift patterns well You mean working shift patterns now during the pandemic? No, I think you mentioned that in your career. You've been working different shift patterns. Oh, yeah. I've worked a variety of patterns so that I can 
as far as possible, live the life that works best for me. And, you know, I previously worked in the civil service, which as a number of people mentioned, is a good employer when it comes to parents and people just having other priorities as well alongside work. When I had my first son, I worked three days a week and that carried on until I had my third son. And then for a little while, I went down to two days a week because I really struggled with the return to work with three young children. I think my lowest point was I turned up to work one day in my slippers. Everyone thought it was funny, but I didn't think it was funny. I was really crying on the inside because for me, I commuted all the way to work without noticing. And it just showed that I wasn't actually coping. And we put some changes in at home. And I went down to two days a week for six months just to kind of pull myself together a little bit and then worked up to three days. And then when all my children were a little bit older, I went up to four days, one day a week at home so that I could be at home when they got home from school. And I currently work five days over four. And I think what I've always emphasized with the kids is, first of all, these changes aren't that sudden. But for me, I always think about what's staying the same for the kids. And when you have young kids, emphasizing what's staying the same is very stabilizing for them. You know, mummy and daddy are still here or mummy and mummy are here or, you know, whoever it is. And we love you. And we're doing this so that we can spend this time with you because it is fun to do this together. And then the other thing I've always done with my kids is say how much I enjoy working. I love working because I do most, not all the time, but a lot of the time it's very motivating for me. And I would really suffer if I didn't work. And, and I want them to see that me working as a positive role model. But I think planning and really going back, it's that time to reflect what's really, really important to you. And then how do you fit the different jigsaw puzzle pieces in place? And I'm making it sound like I live this great, thoughtful, considered life. I just want to tell you, there's a lot of trial and error, a lot of tears, a lot of times at work where I've run into the toilet to have a bit of a cry and then kind of shake myself down and go back out again. So please don't think it's easy or it's a constant work in progress. And I, what I have learned is to be very philosophical about it. You know, sometimes it will work fantastically and you feel like you can do it all. And sometimes it will feel totally terrible and that you're doing nothing well. And the thing then is to be kind to yourself, not to feel guilty, but just to pause and work out what's the best way to help you. I think that's a brilliant way to present it in terms of, you know, it's trial and error and you have to kind of find what works for you and your family. Everybody's mentioned boundaries at some point in this conversation and there's been lots of questions and variations on the question of how do you set those boundaries? How do you communicate them? Especially there's one attendee who's working in a macho culture in terms of hours and doesn't want to be seen as shirking. So wondering, are there any useful, powerful or effective phrases that can be used? Whereas other, there's someone who's self-employed who's wondering with varying work patterns, how do you set boundaries when it comes to your family? So lots of questions around boundaries, certainly advice on setting those and sticking to them and communicating them well. So I think just in terms of in the corporate world, I, I work in a very male dominated industry as well. And I have worked for seven years, I worked three days and now I work four days. And I think it's really important, you know, again, going back to understanding your value. And if you can understand your value to the organization, then you can communicate that value much clearer. And you don't have to have that conversation about presenteeism in that organization. Yes, you will be visibly leaving early or you will not be present on that day. But you also just produced that webinar that 250 people were part of. So I think it's, you know, not thinking about the individual who's going to be judging you and there will be people who are going to be judging you and really communicate with, you know, the senior management about the value that you are bringing by doing that. It is very hard when everyone around you may be working, you know, a more normal pattern to, to feel like you're being judged and somehow because your bum is not on a seat, you're somehow producing less. But I think the more strategic you can be about the work you do, and the value you can bring. And, you know, my key is to, to make friends with the sales team because then, you know, you'll have much more client visibility. <laughs> so that's a key tip for me is, is to make sure, you know, you, you focus on those things that are visible to the clients and visible to stakeholders because that's really where your value is going to be had. Susanna and then Karen? One thing I would add is that I think often women are very apologetic about things. And I think we sometimes do ourselves a disservice by doing that. And one thing I've learned is just to try and actually speak more confidently about how I'm managing my work and my boundaries and my priorities. 
I admit my background is not the corporate world and perhaps it feels very different in that environment. But I think being wary of how much we're always apologising is something to look out for because it can come across as really putting ourselves down. And I've just seen in the chat something about the language we used around days off. It actually really annoyed me when colleagues started calling Friday, oh, enjoy your day off. Most people I know would tell me that they find their day looking after their toddler far harder than their day in the office. And I've really tried to rebrand it as my day with Josh rather than my day off or my day looking after my son. And I think how we even use language around those kinds of things can send a really powerful signal to people. I just wanted to add, I think there's something about setting boundaries, which is about sort of emboldening ourselves to remember why it's important to us. An exercise that I sometimes do with people is to think about our values, think about what's important to us, think about being 80 and looking back at your life. What do you want to have happened? And probably things will come out around, well, you know, I want to be there for my kids or, or conversely, I want to have a professional life that I'm proud of or you know these things are important to me so re- getting in touch with why you care about this boundary because then you can go into that discussion feeling much more confident. One final tip for me which is to try and make it a partnered solution so you know I have in the past said to my boss you know I want to do this fantastic job and how can we work together to make this happen as well as possible you know I'm here to support what's going on And to try and, so it's that sort of sharing of responsibility for making it successful. And I really agree with Susanna, you don't need to apologise for the hours that you work. These are the hours that you work and that's great. And that's your contribution. Thank you. Um, So I know, Rebecca, you have a system for this. Somebody's asking, how do you work out what is strategically important when everything feels important and urgent? In terms of, you know, I focus first on on what my clients need. So if something, you know, is a strategic deliverable, something that's a high value to the clients, that's the first thing that you need to focus on. And then after that, it's looking at something that's going to add long-term value to the company. And I think those are the, the two things. And, and right now during lockdown, I'm just prioritizing the first. That does mean that, you know, some of the things that some clients really like are not going to be updated. And I'm going to be willing to like be called out on that and explain what happened. But I think, you know, as a leader, you have to be willing to think about right now in terms of where we are now, we, we only have so much time. You have to think about what you're going to be remembered for. It's a bit like what Karen said right now during this process. You know, what do you want to be remembered for in lockdown? Doing everything half-hearted or doing those couple of really good, high-value client things? Did anybody else want to add to that? I sometimes when I felt under the most pressure where it feels that everything's important and urgent and it's not possible to prioritize, I sometimes do a grid and I divide up the bits of my life and I write down the stuff within each grid, you know, so it might be kids, work, voluntary activities, me. And, you know, if you write it down, it becomes a little bit more manageable because I think when it's swirling around in your head, it's quite difficult. And you can just say, OK, well, this week I'll be able to do one thing from each quadrant. And that helps you keep that balance. And it's quite a practical way when you're feeling a bit panicky about getting everything. And I think the other thing, you know, for me, Rebecca's sort of working in the private sector, whereas I'm in the public sector, when I'm feeling overwhelmed by my workload, I go back to our corporate plan, which might sound a bit geeky and nerdy, but it reminds me why we're here and what are we trying to achieve? And that helps me prioritize the work as well. Great. So we're running out of time, but I think maybe you can squeeze in a couple more questions really quickly. So there's been a lot of questions about guilt. So how do you deal with the feeling of guilt, whether you're feeling guilty about work or family? I'll kick off with one thing because I was feeling it this morning. Uh, (laughs) I've got a WhatsApp group with three amazing friends really close friends and we just call it the supportive group and we just pour our hearts out on there and get I get you know a lot of love and support back so it's very it's very you need a place to be able to put it all out there and to have other people feed it back to you that actually you're doing amazing you know you are doing really well so much better than you feel sometimes your feelings they're not what's actually happening they're your reaction to it and helping you separate out those two so I think a supportive network that can give you different feedback that you're giving yourself and recognizing that you don't have to get it right 100% of the time you know and if you've hugged your children and snapped at them don't forget you've hugged your children and they'll feel loved and make sure someone hugs you you know without wanting to get too touchy-feely but you know you will feel guilty at times. It's just about redressing the balance. 
Go ahead, Rebecca. Uh, Susanna, sorry. I really struggled with this uh, when I first returned from maternity leave to work. And I think part of it has been about learning to be kinder to myself. But I find when I'm getting in a real stew about guilt, just taking a step back and actually listing what I've achieved at work and what I've done with my son can really help me. So even things like, hang on a minute, I enjoyed a lovely online music class with my son this morning. That was a great thing for both of us. I'm really not a bad mum or thinking that I support this colleague with this piece of work and I managed to submit this funding application that's a really good achievement for today and sometimes I think we just need to actually list out or get or if you really are such in such a state you can't do it get somebody else to list it for you my husband's really good at doing it particularly when I'm doing the oh I'm such a bad mum line but he's really good at just saying no you're not look at all these things you've done and listing them off so if you can't do it for yourself find someone else to do it for you because when you take that step back and actually look at what you're managing and what you are doing at both work and for your children it'll be a lot more than you think yeah and maybe we can squeeze in one last question because I know we're at 10 30 now this was in the chat so it's gotten lost in the chat but I just remember because it really stood out so obviously we've talked about self-care a lot and there's someone who's sorry newly the CEO role and wondering how do you lead when you're running on empty I'm happy to have a go at that I think that the answer is that it's incredibly difficult to and that you need to take some steps to fill up your tank. So I always say to people, when you're feeling at your most overwhelmed, that has to be the time that you have to t- find some space and some time for yourself. However short that is, you have to get away from it because it's only doing that that you'll get the perspective that you need. Yeah, you cannot lead if you're empty. That's a big warning signal to you that you need to take steps to get some support, whether it's coaching or you need to take a step back or review whether you're delegating stuff properly. You can't lead on empty. That's a call for you to look after yourself differently. There's so much rich food for thought in all your contributions. We have come to the end of our time in the spirit of workload management. We will finish on time. So big, big thank you to our panellists and also everyone who's been watching for all your thoughtful suggestions and contributions. I know that there are quite a number, we could probably spend two days discussing all the issues raised, but I do encourage you, if we haven't had a chance to discuss this now, do reach out to your friends, your colleagues to continue the discussion and of course also contribute on social media. So it's at Dwayne Network and at Leaders underscore plus and we'd love to have continue the conversation with you. Harveer, who has been fantastic at running this while handling a little one, Harveer is going to send out a brief email with a link to a survey monkey. We would love to get your thoughts on it because both Harveer and I have been doing this on top of other things because we thought it would be valuable but we really want to know what it was. So we'd love your feedback. And Vicky, Rebecca, Karen and Susanna, you have been amazing. So a big thank you and goodbye. Thank you for listening today. I hope you did enjoy the conversation. A few of the people in the webinar said it was quite emotional some of the things that the panelists said so yeah I hope it was useful it's obviously the first time I've turned a panel discussion into a podcast and I would absolutely love your feedback so email tweet instagram or give me a call to let me know what you thought and of course tell me if there are any other topics you'd love me to cover a big thank you again to Harvier from the Dwyer Network for putting on this panel in partnership with me please do follow her at dwyer.network on twitter or instagram and of course, check out her brilliant website for practical resources, dwyan.network. Please also do share this podcast with your friends and it would really help if you can give it a five-star rating if you haven't already done so. And if you do want to stay in touch with the work of Dwyan Network or Leaders Plus, then do visit our websites and subscribe to the respective newsletters. You'll obviously get similar invitations again for similar events, webinars and so on if you're subscribed. That's all for today. I hope you have a great week and thank you for listening.